I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 4. It's on page 742. Yes, man. Okay, Gospel of John, chapter 4. As you're finding it, we're going to be coming into the middle of a scene that you're familiar with. It's actually the aftermath of a really powerful moment where, if if you recall this story, Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman at a well. That's not what we're going to be reading. We're going to be reading what comes after, and it's going to be the disciples rejoining Jesus. So if you have that open in your Bible or the Pew Bible there, follow along with me in the Gospel of John chapter 4, starting actually at verse 30. They came out of the town and made their way toward him. That means Jesus. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying one sows and another reaps is true. I have sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in case you're not familiar with kind of where we're coming in, in that encounter that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman, the disciples, it was just him and the woman alone because the disciples had gone into town to get some food. So where we came in is where they've come back. And naturally, having gone to get food, they offered Jesus something to eat. But as only Jesus can, (laughs) he speaks of being full, of having food already that they know nothing about. And for me, at least, I don't know how you read this scripture, there's a brief moment of comedy as the disciples totally miss the point and start asking themselves, did someone else bring Jesus lunch? And Jesus very quickly tries to to clarify things for his followers when he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to finish his work. We are during this series of this season of Lent going through the Lord's Prayer, how Jesus taught us to pray. And this is a perfect introduction to the third petition of the Lord's Prayer that we come to this morning. That next petition. Just to recap, if you haven't been with us, up to this point, Jesus has taught us to address God, to begin our prayers to God by addressing him not as my exclusive deity, but as our Father. As the one who is in heaven, the dad whose thoughts and ways are not like ours. And then Jesus, out of that address that we give to God, taught us the first petition to pray, hallowed be your name. That we are to pray for our Father's name, his character, to be honestly and clearly reflected in and through us. And from there, Lee last week took us into the scriptures as Jesus' next petition is is to teach us to ask our Father for his kingdom to come for his reign and his rule to shape how we live and how we engage each other. So that rather than foolishly build our own kingdoms at the expense of others, we would be a part of his kingdom, his rule in our lives and in this world. And that leads us today to the third petition that Jesus teaches us to pray. Jesus says, pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we understand this petition? What exactly do we believe we are saying when we repeat the words that Jesus gives us? Thy will be done. For most of us, I think when we close our eyes, 
And when we get down on our knees to pray, we come ready, don't we? I mean, we come ready. We come prepared with our requests in hand. Being very focused on, in what's going on in our lives, in what we're doing, we tend to be confident and certain of what we want, of what we need from God. And so with our hands folded and our heads bowed, we humbly share our desires and ask the Lord to answer, to bless our lives, to bless our loved ones, to bless our world by giving us what we're asking for. We present our list to our Father and we wait and we watch for our God to act. And it's not atypical for some of us, many of us, to get frustrated by the results or the lack thereof, right? This isn't what I prayed for. How could the Lord allow this to come into my life? If things don't line up with our expectations, what we asked for, our first impulse is to doubt that the Lord has our best interests in mind. We suspect that maybe our father has a hearing problem. We might even start to wonder if God is paying attention to us, if God even cares about us at all. I mean, I know the Lord says he won't give me more than I can bear, but doesn't he know I've had enough already? And it's at this point that many a person who's offered up a prayer and not heard the answer they wanted has thrown up their hands and hardened their hearts in frustration. When life doesn't go as we'd like it to, when the Lord doesn't answer the way we've wanted, we are tempted to diminish prayer's importance and priority in our lives. We can convince ourselves prayer isn't worth our time. And before you know it, we just are telling ourselves we're too busy to pray. We're too busy to pray because we're trying to make things happen. We're trying to take care of things for ourselves. Now, for those of us who don't go down this path, and even sometimes for those of us who do go down this path and then find out the, fu the futility of trying to handle things on our own, for those of us who go, don't go down this path, for those of us who do and find our way back, when we come back to prayer, our prayer life becomes stilted and mechanical. There's no real excitement as we pray anymore. There's no hint of eagerness or expectation. It's like we don't believe in Santa Claus anymore. And so we mechanically rattle off or race through our list of prayer requests. We still come with the same things, the insert that's in the bulletin, the stuff that's on the prayer chain. We add a few things of our own, but we just sort of rattle off or race through our prayer requests. And just to cover things, we add what we know we're supposed to. At the end of everything else we say to God, we say, thy will be done. Or, if it be your will. We say, thy will be done, or if it be your will, as nothing more than a resigned disclaimer or a grudging resignation. Lord, here are the things I really want for you to do for me, but I know you probably won't answer me the way I would like, so thy will be done. Have it your way, Lord. Whatever. But Jesus didn't teach us to pray this way. He didn't teach us to pray this petition reluctantly as a last resort. The way Jesus places this petition in the Lord's Prayer teaches us, thy will be done is not to be a pious afterthought at the end of our requests. 
Jesus places it up front. Do you notice that? Along with the two other petitions we pray for in the opening of this prayer. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Before Jesus teaches us to say anything about our needs at all, Jesus would have us start the prayer with our priorities in place. If we're first oriented towards God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will, then this will shape the rest of our prayers, our conversation with our Father in a good way. In other words, to pray, thy will be done, is to recognize our Father's will is always being done, whether we pray or not. Now that may be common sense, but I don't know if we really let that sink in. The Lord's will being exercised isn't contingent upon us having something to ask for or making a request, as if God is waiting around for us to ask for something. Whether we acknowledge God's will or not, he's on the move. He's at work. God our Father is bringing his purposes to fulfillment. So then in many ways what we need to understand is when Jesus teaches us to pray, thy will be done, he's teaching us to stop focusing first on what we're doing on what we want. And in praying this petition, we're asking our Father to focus us on what he's doing, on what he wants. You know, this kind of begs repeating something that I shared with you in the opening when we started looking at the Lord's Prayer because I think in many ways the the Lord's Prayer as a whole teaches us something. And I, I shared this before, I want to say it again. The Lord's Prayer as a whole, the way Jesus teaches us to pray, tells us something profound and significant. That prayer is not about getting God's attention. Prayer is not about us getting God's attention. Prayer is about God getting our attention. The prayer that we're called to make, to offer up, true prayer isn't asking for what we want and sticking Jesus' name on it at the end. The purpose of prayer isn't to make God do my will. By the way, if that's what we think prayer is, that the purpose of prayer is to make God do my will, that's not prayer. That's called practicing magic. (laughs) If I just have the right words, if I just get the right way, then God's got to do what I say. Nuh-uh. We don't put a spell on our Father. Through prayer, our Father puts his spirit upon us to bring not my will, but his will, our will in line with his. Thy will be done. Are we sure we really want to pray this? Are we sure we really want to pray this? We ought to step back and truly digest what we're asking for. When we pray, thy will be done, we are looking for God to break, to hinder all contrary, all rival wills to his, including our own. We're making, when we say, thy will be done, a declaration of submission and obedience. When we say these words, we are saying, the coming of God's rule means the end of my rule. Beloved, when we pray this prayer, are we surrendering control of our lives to God? When we pray this prayer, we've all, many of us learned this as a child. We have this committed to memory. But when we pray it, are we surrendering control of our lives to God? In the book of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon once wrote, Who knows what is good for a man in life? 
Who knows what is good for a man in life? And much later on, the Apostle Paul makes the same point when he writes, we do not know what we ought to pray for. We do not know what we ought to pray for. And yet, beloved, what I want to suggest to you this morning is we think we know exactly what we want. We think we know exactly what we need. But when we pray, thy will be done, are we acknowledging we really don't know what's good for us, what we truly need? And yet we all have these things, don't we? I mean, I don't know what yours are. They're probably similar to mine. We all have these things that we're convinced will make us happy. We strive for them. We plead to God to give them to us. Success, wealth, wisdom, beauty, power, time, fame. We covet the blessings we don't have. And in our discontent, we can talk ourselves into moral and ethical compromises because we're so sure, we're so certain, we need what we don't have. But if we pray the words, thy will be done, are we ready to let these things go? Are we ready to believe our Father knows best? Do we trust the Lord to know us better than we know ourselves? Do we stop when we say, thy will be done? Do we stop and consider that God withholds from us? God doesn't always give us what we want because he and he alone knows what we can and what we can't handle. Last week, again, I mentioned, Lee eloquently took us into the scriptures to Jesus teaching us to pray, thy kingdom come. And one of the insights that I think Lee gave to us that from the scriptures is that God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. It is the exact opposite of how we understand power and authority. But I want to put what he shared with us, Jesus, what Jesus is teaching us to pray then, with what Jesus is teaching us to pray now. In other words, if we pray, thy will be done along with thy kingdom come, right after thy kingdom come, what we are asking God our Father to do is to turn our lives upside down. To turn our world inside out. Are we ready to pray this? When we pray this petition, we are opening ourselves to God, seeking for our Father to shine his light in every corner of darkness in my life. Breaking through every wall, every wall of resistance in my soul. Thy will be done means humble me, break me. Change me, Lord. We all say we want change, right? We all say we want change. We often pray for our Father to change things. Everyone wants change in their lives. Everyone wants change in this world until we are the ones who need to be changed. We are the ones whom the Lord is changing. Isn't it funny? Then all of a sudden we're like, you know, the status quo is not too bad. The first part of praying, thy will be done, is denying ourselves and accepting our Father's authority in our lives. And I've told you as we go through this, I want to try to give you, from one, for what God's Word is saying to us, a practical way to apply this. This week, practice praying this petition, thy will be done, as a prayer of release. Let it go. 
Let go of your will. Let go of those things that you're holding on to when you pray, thy will be done. But again, don't just pray this petition in resignation or with resentment. Because if we truly understand, if we truly seek to understand the Lord's will for our lives, for this world, we can learn to say these words not with resignation or resentment. We can learn to say these words with joyful and eager anticipation, gripped by the goodness of God's will for us and for his creation. Thy will be done can become, Father, your purpose and pleasure be done in us. Father, your design and delight be done in your creation. But we might ask, what is God's will? What is God's will? Beloved, it's not a mystery. Beloved, it's not a mystery. God's will is the gospel. God's will is the good news that brings us all together. For example, what is God's will? Well, it's clear from the givenness of this world that God's will, God's desire, is that this world exists, that we exist. Do you remember? Do we forget? In the beginning, there was nothing. In the beginning, there was nothing. But the Spirit of God hovered over the waters and the Word of God spoke. Light, land, trees, flowers, animals, fish, stars, humanity. Everything that is exists only because God wills it to be. God wills for us to be, to create. God wills for us to create. God wills for us to be fruitful and to multiply. But knowing God's will is not limited to the first couple of chapters of Genesis. There are clear statements of our Father's will throughout the Bible. In the Ten Commandments. And our Father's desire, the Lord's purposes for Israel. In Jesus' examples and teachings in something like the Sermon on the Mount. In Paul's description of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Or when he talks about the evidences of divine love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. God's will is not a mystery. It's the gospel. Beloved, God wills for us not to perish, but to live abundant and eternal lives. The will of God comes from the heart of God, and the will of God is for our nourishment, not our punishment. Our nourishment, not our punishment. God's will is for more light and less darkness in this world. God wills for us to be freed from the power of sin, to be redeemed from evil, to be reconciled to each other, to be saved from death unto eternal life. Pray this petition this week as a prayer of release, but pray this petition this week eagerly, mindful of our Father's will for you and for this world. And if you can't remember, dive into the word if you need to, to remember and recall what God's will is. But in case you forget me telling you this, in case we forget and we say, well, I don't know what God's will is, I love it, that is why Jesus gives us an important clause to this third petition. He tells us to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is God's will for it to be on earth as it is in heaven? And what Jesus is teaching us to never forget is this world is not the way it's supposed to be. We'll sense that, don't we? Do you notice that? We all sense this world's not the way it's supposed to be. Even if we don't profess faith in God. Do you, do you, do you catch that? 
You can talk to anybody. I, I mean, and I, I mean I'll, I'll stand corrected, but in my lifetime, because I bring this up because I find this is a universal thing, I, I, no one has ever said to me, and honestly, I believe no one in, the, in this life ever will, no one's ever said, you know, I think the world's perfect. <laughs> Everything's exactly how it ought to be. Nobody. Everyone agrees this world is broken. Everyone. Where we disagree is how to fix what's wrong. But Jesus teaches us the way that what's wrong gets fixed. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray that petition, we are first confessing that there is much about this world, much about us that is not in accordance with our Father's will. Hatred, lust, greed, not to mention murder, adultery, stealing, not to mention war and terrorism and all the countless ways we manage to crush the intrinsic dignity of every human being. All of it reflects how unquestionably skewed, how far out of joint we are from the Lord's desire for us and for his creation. So when we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are seeking to actively desire what our Father wants an end to everything that is wrong with this world. All the inhumanity, all of the prejudice, all of the abuse, the lingering shadow of death that hangs over everything. We are professing when we pray this prayer that our Father wants it gone. We are seeking for the glory of the heavens to fill this earth. And the glory of heaven is everything that is in contrast to the way our world is. When we say we want the glory of heaven to fill this earth, we are asking for the unity, the wholeness, the perfection, the peace and abundance of God's will to overtake this world of ours. My friends, to ask for it to be on earth as it is in heaven is to hunger hunger for the old creation to become the new creation that lives by the Spirit of God to long in the depths of your soul for the disappearance of suffering, of death, of sin. My friends, in praying this petition that we just can say by rote, are we seeking to develop a hunger for the will of God, the way of heaven, because to cry, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is not a cry for something far away in the future. Jesus is teaching us to ask God for something now. Now. And you know what? Just so we know that now is not a fantasy or a fairy tale, we get God gives us a glimpse of heaven on earth. God gives us a glimpse of heaven on earth when we look to the cross. There on the cross, we see the ultimate and final battle of wills. Through Jesus freely giving his life for the sins of all the world, we witness God's will being done. The Lord's victory over any and all rival purposes. It being on earth as it is in heaven. Paul writes that on the cross, every pretender is exposed. Every enemy is disarmed. No corner of creation is abandoned when we see the cross. This sinful world on the cross is revealed, but this sinful world on the cross is reclaimed as our Father's world. The cross is planted in the center of human history to say, it is now and there will come a day when it will be forever on earth as it is in heaven. 
Do we truly desire that? For it to be on earth as it is in heaven. And beloved, before you answer that question, let me blow your mind this morning. And we had to learn it a certain way as children, but we're growing up. We're maturing in Christ. Here's the thing. Heaven is not a place. Heaven is not a place. Because here's why. Heaven is an order of reality, a state of existence that's not bound by space and time as we understand them. Now, I know I might be tapping into science class, but you can hang with this. Heaven is radically different from the parameters God gives us so we don't go insane. Heaven is not bound by space and time as we understand them. Heaven is eternal. And therefore, heaven has no location. Heaven has no definition we can comprehend. So when we say on earth as it is in heaven, what are we praying for? What, what are we looking forward to? What do we mean when we say heaven? And there's so much more we could say, but I'll give you this for this morning. If the primary way we understand our God, that God reveals himself to us, is that God is relational, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We worship a relational God. And if heaven is the place where God's will is perfectly done, then heaven is the ultimate perfect experience of togetherness. For it to be on earth as it is in heaven is for there to be no separation between the will of God and our will. Heaven is to live in a relationship of transparency, intimacy, and security with our Father and with each other, more joyous and fulfilling than we have ever known. It's eternal life, as we like to say. But beloved, eternal life is more than just long life. Eternal life is the life God has. Eternal life is the life God is. Our Father's will then, for it to be on earth as it is in heaven, our Father's will is for us to be in full communion with him, to know God and to be filled by him with his life and to be in fellowship with each other. And this is what is promised, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Our, God, our Father's will is that we would be blessed to become a blessing to each other. And here's the thing, in case we think this is fantasy and fairy tale, and think, unless we think this is all myth, God gives us, by his grace, a taste of heaven on earth. Even now, God gives us a taste of heaven on earth when we come to this table. When we come to the Lord's table. Because at this table that looks so ordinary, so much like the tables we have in our own homes, because it is the Lord's table, in this place we see the intersection of forgiveness, healing, and hope. In this place, when we come forward, this is not just something that looks backwards to the past. It is not just something that exists in our present. This is something that forecasts and moves us ahead into our future. This is eternity. Right in front of us, the intersection of forgiveness, the intersection, again, of healing and hope. And in the offering and sharing of grace, faith, and love, when we come forward with open hands and open hearts as we both receive and give to each other from what Christ has given us, beloved, for one brief shining moment in the breaking of bread and in the passing of the cup, in, for one brief shining moment, we transcend space and time. We become one with God and one with each other. Beloved, 
we taste and see eternal life. Are we coming? Are we coming when we pray? Are we coming when we, we take from this table, when we receive? Are we coming to develop a thirst for more and more people to come and know and love and worship Jesus Christ? Are we looking and imagining this table expand for the bread to be multiplied, for the cup to overflow? Are we capturing in our minds that the very people that we long for to be with us at this table, God longs for? But are we also capturing in our minds the very people that we think won't be there, can't be there? There's no way God would have a place for them. They'll be sitting next to us. Pray this petition, releasing your will. Pray this petition, anticipating, eager for God's will, knowing it. But pray this petition, beloved, with your eyes open, looking now to perceive heaven here on earth. Pray this prayer, this petition, as Jesus tells us elsewhere, seeking the kingdom first and trusting that everything else will be added unto us by our Father. And if you're asking yourself, how do I pulse check? How do I know? Am I, am I oriented? Am I opening myself? We can determine how hungry and thirsty we are. We can determine how much we trust our Father's will by considering how much skin we have in the game. When you hear this petition, and we're going to talk more about this on Wednesday if you're able to come, you cannot hear thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven without your mind immediately going to a scene. To a scene, a picture involving Jesus on his knees in a garden, praying, opening himself to the will of his Father so deeply that blood is already starting to come out of him before the cross. Face to the ground in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus pursues and yields to the deep truth of his being that his life existed only to be given for others. My friends, the will of God calls upon each one of us to do something, to do something, to be obedient to our Father's particular directives. So when we pray this petition, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are asking to be given the purpose of mind, the strength of heart, and the resolve of the Spirit to do as our Father bids us. My brothers and sisters in Christ, I, we cannot pray Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We cannot pray this without taking up our cross and following Jesus. Without putting ourselves on the line. Because God's will is done when each of us accepts the deep truth of our humanity. God's will is done when we accept the deep truth of our humanity that we do not exist for ourselves. We do not exist for ourselves. Our life exists only to be given to and for each other. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven is learning to live for something greater than ourselves. To give away our life for the sake of God is the heart of this petition. So pray this petition, releasing your will. Pray this petition and eagerly anticipating God's will. Pray this petition, seeking, perceiving 
heaven here on earth now, but pray this petition listening for your Father's direction. Where? To whom is he calling you into service? Into action, to lovingly represent him, to bring heaven here on earth in the life of another person. We started by hearing Jesus share with his disciple, disciples, that what sustains him, what sustains Jesus is doing the will of his Father. And in so doing, bringing the things of heaven here on earth, reaping and sowing. Is this what we're living for? Is this what we're living for? Does God's will, the opportunity to see heaven break into earth here and now sustain us? And you might say, but okay, I, I, we can understand God's general will for our lives, but how do I know God's particular will for my life? How do I know how God wants to bring heaven here on earth through me? How do we allow God's will to sustain us? By following Jesus, that one we know. But if we want it even more unpacked for us, we follow Jesus by listening to Paul as Paul outlines it for us. He outlines it for us in his letter to the Romans, chapter 12. Hear these words afresh in light of what Jesus teaches us to pray. Paul starts by saying, therefore, and that therefore is in light of what God has done for us in Christ. Paul writes, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing and perfect will. I'm your pastor, and I, feel, I often feel like I'm a broken record, but if I'm a broken record, it's the Lord's song I'm playing. Our Father strengthens our faith. Our Father gives us confidence in his goodness. He reveals and reinforces his will for us and this world when we abide in Christ. Through the Holy Spirit working in our hearts through word and sacrament. Here's the broken record part, but it's the same song, different verse. We know God's will for our lives when we are in the word of God. Meditating on God's holy word on a daily basis. Not like a fortune cookie whenever we need a scripture to perk us up, but meditating on it on a daily basis. We know God's particular will for our lives by committing ourselves, no matter how long or whether, how, how, what we think of it, by coming to hear the preaching and teaching of God's work in community. We know God's particular will for our lives by being fortified in grace and faith through feasting at the Lord's table. Living in and from our baptism through regular prayer, conversing. Do you talk to your father? Are you listening to your dad? And through acts of service as led by the Spirit, encountering God. God is on the move whether we pray or not. Are you encountering God in the very relationship you're already in? in the very communities you're already a part of. And out of this, these same elements, word, spirit, community, conversation, sacrament, our minds are renewed 
And we better come to understand what God's good and gracious will is for us as revealed by his word. You know, we've all heard the expression, I think, where there's a will, there's a way. There's, where there's a will, there's a way. The point of this phrase being, if you truly want something, you'll find a way to do it, regardless of the obstacles before you. The Olympian athlete who's trained for a gold medal becomes injured during the competition and not only finishes, but actually wins the race. Where there's a will, there's a way. The dedicated student vying to get into a particularly prestigious school stops at nothing to get not only a letter of admission, but a full scholarship. Where there's a will, there's a way. Where there's a will, a person will find a way to make it happen, we believe, regardless of the difficulties faced or the sacrifices demanded. It's powerful. It's inspiring. But we know, or we find out, that this truism only goes so far when it comes to the limits of the human condition. Yeah, there's a, well, there's a will, there's a way. That's absolutely right. But here's the other side of the story. The reality of sin leaves us in a battle of wills. As what we each want isn't always the same. And where there's a will, there's a way, but it often comes at the expense of someone else. We may all have a will, but it doesn't mean we're all going the same way or we're all going the right way. You know, and it's when we face that, the limits and liabilities of our own will, that we often turn to prayer. You notice that? That's when we get down on our knees. Not knowing what to do or what is right, do we ask God, okay, I'm done, your will be done. But beloved, if you didn't hear it before, please hear it now. Jesus is teaching us not to come to our Father last, but to come to our Father first. Praying thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven is asking the Lord to get our attention, to turn us away from our plans, to turn us away from our wants, to turn us away from our will, and to be turned into the particular expression of his will as it unfolds in our life and in our world. But remember, it's one thing to know the will of God, and it is another thing to do it. When we pray the third petition of the Lord's Prayer, we are always seeking, as we always do, as we always must, the grace to submit, to follow, and to sustain our dependence upon the will of our Father. My friends, this morning, don't be discouraged. Don't be frustrated. Don't be apathetic. Hear the word of the Lord. Our Father's perfect will for you, for me, and for us all is that we would be empowered and enabled by his Holy Spirit to follow his gracious guidance so that we would receive everything we need to come into the fullness of who we are in Jesus Christ. And in so doing, that we would allow heaven to come to earth through us, in us, as we give ourselves lovingly and sacrificially for the sake of each other. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.